Hola, and welcome to the Beauteous Me podcast, a relatable and authentic space for all. Tune in as we share stories of triumph, resiliency, and healing. We do this all while finding its inner beauty. My name is Jamili Whitfield, and the journey begins now. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Beauteous Me podcast. I have Ana Lopez here. Thank you, Ana, for being here on this lovely day so that we can record and talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) Why was I in the showers? Truly singing that. I was like, I'm having a conversation with Anna about sex, baby. Anyways, (laughs) let's get serious. Let's get serious. All right. Anna is a highly educated Latina whose purpose in life is to bring science-based sex education to marginalized communities and get Latinas talking about sex. This CSU East Bay alum is currently pursuing her master's degree of social work and master's of education in human sexualities. As a certified sex coach and owner of Sex in Spanglish, she empowers Latinx women and those who have been socialized as women with science-based sex education, as well as coaching through sexual issues and frustrations. Anna's goal for her clients is to help them embrace both their culture and their sexuality. Anna has a podcast, Go Listen, Sex in Spanglish, where she empowers mujeres to get in touch with their bodies so they can own their pleasure and discuss their deseos con confianza. Anna, welcome, 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 welcome. So excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. excited. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have coffee. I promise. I'm not that hyper right now. If I had coffee, then you would have a problem. (laughs) Exactly. Trouble when I have coffee. But anyways, Anna, tell me about your story. Yeah. So uh, where do I begin? (laughs) Wherever you want to. Yeah. So the very first memory that I have of like the sex conversation is I was like a little girl. I was literally like five years old. And I think this was because I have an older brother. So he's 13 years older than me or eight years. I'm sorry. He was 13. He was eight years older than me. And um, we were having, I was, like overhearing probably what he was saying. And so then I would go and then, you know, tell the little girls next door, like, oh, guess what I heard, you know? (laughs) I so early. (laughs) And so I don't even know what I was saying. I just think I was super interested in like, oh, I know this. Let me share the knowledge, like whatever it was. It was probably something really stupid. But anyways, that's the earliest memory that I have. Um, And then so I was always really interested in education and kind of making it accessible to everyone and recognizing that the way that we um, teach isn't necessarily like culturally relevant and also for different learning styles. Um, So fast forward, I got to college and I was like, well, I really like how the mind works. And there wasn't like really a direct path to talk about sex, or at least I didn't see one. Right. I was like, well, if you want to be a doctor, you go to medical school. If you want to be a teacher, you do this. And so I was just like, well, let's see how the mind works and we'll go from there. (laughs) If I uh, want to study sex, then. Right. (laughs) Right. Then the brain. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I got into psychology and there was a human sexualities professor that everyone was like ranting and raving about. So I was like, I need to know her. So I met with her and we talked and, you know, we had a long discussion about like, what I really wanted to do. And I was like, I don't know where to go with this. Like who goes to school for sex? Like I'm confused. And so she brought up sex therapy as an option. So I was like, okay, cool. So, you know, I finished my BA um, in psychology and I supposedly, my idea was to become a marriage and family therapist. So I graduated and I was like, 
marriage and family therapy sounds really white. <laughs> it's not what I want to do. And I was just like, my people or like the people that I want to serve don't don't have the resources for this, right? Like, let alone do they want to talk about their mental health. So I was like, no, like, I don't want to do, I said regular therapy, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to do regular therapy. I just want to talk about sex. That's it. Like, I can't do this. And then, so I had a friend that was like, well, if you want to work with like um, people of color and like oppressed populations, why don't you go to social work? Like there's so much more that you can do with a social work degree than you can with a mar- just a marriage and family therapy, you know, license. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, okay. So I was like looking up, you know, uh, programs and like, where am I going to go? And so at the time I was in California. So I was like, Oh, it's really impacted here. And my GPA wasn't the best. So I was like, I'm not trying to go to school just to get in school. Right. Right, (laughs) That didn't make any sense. So I was just like looking at a bunch of different programs and I found the one that I'm in currently, which is Widener university. And so it's a hybrid program where I'm earning a master's of education, master's of education in human sexualities and a master's degree in social work. Wow. It was a combination of both. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I can become a sex therapist this way. I'm getting a little bit of both, um, both worlds, you know. And then I decided because me being like a type A personality, I want to do all the things. I joined a coaching program. And so I was going to become a certified sex coach, which I completed that program. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll still become a therapist, but I have these coaching skills. And I also have like a little bit more knowledge on sex. Um, and of course, I'm still learning to this day through a master's program. And then I got placed in my so- my first um, practicum for social work, mm-hmm. and it was at a coaching job. So I was, you know, sitting at a table with a coach, and we were doing like group coaching and individual coaching. And I was like, "This is amazing!" <laughs> I was like, "Coaching is my thing. Like, forget therapy. I don't want to do it anymore." I'm going to become a coach and I'm going to go on to get my doctorate. So I still have the education, but I really want to do coaching and more of that transformational work versus like the diagnosing and things where you typically see in therapy. Um, So then I'm still there today. That's like my nine to five. And then um, I opened my business in May of last year um, as a certified sex coach. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So I've been following you for a few months and I love your page, but there's two things to your page, right? It's the, how we grew up in the Latinx culture is like, yo, she's so bold. Like she's just really (laughs) posting on this. And the other one is like, intrigue me, educate me a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) It is so interesting, but I like your mission statement, especially in describing your bio in that culturally, um, so many different cultures, not even only the Latinx culture, but first of all, we don't name our body parts the right way. Um, it's either cuca or cuquita or whatever, you know, um, we don't have, we don't talk about sex. The only thing you hear about sex is you don't have it until you get married. That's it. Mm -hmm. We don't even talk about masturbation that kids masturbate at a young age. Mm -hmm. And so, Bringing up healthy conversations, I think is important because when it's ingrained in you, like culturally, it really messes you up as a parent. And I, and I will speak from experience that the first time my son was small and he was like, you know, playing with his thing, I was like, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. Until I spoke to a fellow colleague and she was like, um, your baby's always going to be playing with that. I was like, but I just, that's my baby. I don't, you know, you associate sex and touching and pleasure with something bad. So Tell us, how is it being a sex coach and how is it coaching our culture to kind of deprogram, if you will, our mentality? 
Yeah. So it's a lot of exploring of beliefs, right? And I really empower my clients. Like if they want to stick with a belief, that's fine. Mm -hmm. And also recognizing that if you want to, like you can believe anything that you want in the entire world. However, you need to also recognize and take responsibility for how that belief is going to affect you. So if you want to believe that you shouldn't have sex until marriage, that is totally fine. That is your, that's your business. Mm -hmm. But also recognizing that if you're a person that didn't wait, you're likely going to shame yourself for that. So recognizing that you can like decide to not shame yourself and also still hold on to that belief. Mm -hmm. So it's really about like, yes, and. So a lot of like in my bio, you you know, you heard me say like the culture and the sexuality, because a lot of what I hear is like, oh, like um, I'm Latina. We don't do that. Right. And it's like, well, we kind of do because I'm here. (laughs) So, you know, like I do. (laughs) Maybe y'all don't, but. Right. Right. Yeah. And so it's really about like, yes, we don't talk about sex and it's something that's happening. So let's talk about that. Right. And if you don't want to talk about it, then that's fine. But you're going to continue having the same, you know, issues. Right. And so it's really about getting down to what it is you truly believe. And is it maybe something that you don't believe? So now there's a resentment for your parents. Is there resentment for your culture? Like there's a lot of like, pulling, right? Like we're expected. So in Western society, like here in the United States, and in, uh, in particular, we're very sexualized as Latinas. We're spicy, we're oh, yeah. exotic, like oh, all yeah. this stuff, right? But then at home, it's like, oh, we're very reserved. It's very like, no te me vayas embarazar. <laughs> like, you know, all these things. Right. Right. And so it's like, okay, well, which one do we do? I'm confused. Right. And then there's no discussion or educating about it. And I think that the, you know, the misconception comes in where it's like, we're talking to our kids about sex or our little ones about sex. And it's like, we automatically think us saying the word sex, they're going to be like, oh, yep, let me go have that. But they don't even know what it is. So if you think about it from like a blank slate, they're not going to be like, oh, this sounds interesting. Let me go and do this, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's not how they're talking about it. I just actually just did a podcast on this, um, talking about how we think like, oh, they're going to go and do it if we if we tell them about sex. But it's like, if you explain what happens during sex, like if we're talking about like cisgendered heterosexual couples, like a penis goes in a vagina and then it moves around for a little bit and then like stuff comes out, like that does not sound cute. that's not what I think about when I think of sex. Right. And so it's really about the reframing of like, what are you thinking and what are you projecting on to, you know, your partners and your kids. Mm -hmm. So in talking about the Latino culture, right. If you think about like your grandparents, they didn't talk about sex or you only had sex to have children. You think about religion, different aspects of it. Um, I sit around and like I, I mentioned before, sometimes we bring on our own like cultural biases because you were raised like, you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do that. Meanwhile, in the in, inside, you're like, but I'm a little freaky though. I'm not want yeah. to do this and <laughs> I want to do that. But, <laughs> but yeah. it's like looming over you that you feel like it's like the worst thing. Like you are bad, you are a sinner. Like it is the worst of the worst of the worst. How do you help your clients destigmatize that? 
Yeah, it all goes back to the beliefs, right? So we're like, oh, and and it's a lot of expectations, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, we have these expectations from our parents. We can't disappoint them. We have these expectations from our culture. I have these expectations as a person that's living in the United States, as a Latina in the United States, as a woman. You know, like there's all these different expectations that are being put on us. And also we put these other, like an added layer of expectations on ourselves. And so it's about really recognizing That whether or not we decide to live within those expectations, we're the ones, each individual is making that decision. And so sometimes we, well, a lot of times, actually, Mm -hmm. (laughs) people will come to me and they'll be like, oh, like, I have to do this. Like, I have to act a certain way or I have to do this. I can't do this. And it's like, you can and you don't have to. You're choosing to. Everything that we do in life is a choice. No one is putting a gun to your head right? You're, so the reason that we don't do a lot of things or we do certain things is because like, lo que va a pensar la gente, right? Like what are our parents going to think? Right. What is the community going to think? What is my partner going to think? What are my kids, my friends, my primas, comadres, whatever it is, what are they going to think? And it's not even about what they're going to think, but it's about how we're going to feel about ourselves if they think that. Mm. So it all ties back into like, us, right? So someone says like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. And then you have a thought like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. So then you're shaming yourself. So then you feel like shit, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really about like what we think about what other people think about us. And a lot of times we don't even know what other people are thinking. They keep their thoughts to themselves. They're over like chismosando with somebody else, right? (laughs) You don't even know what was said in the conversation, but you're afraid of what they are saying about you. Mm-hmm. even though their mouths are closed. And then we're like, oh, they're saying this, they're saying that. And you're you're essentially putting all the shame on yourself. So it's not even other people that are judging you. You're judging yourself. And it's, so it's, it's... It's so interesting that you say that, Anna, because I'm, I'm having a flashback moment of years ago, I used to like host passion parties. Yeah. And one of my friends hired me so I could do one for these adult Latina women. And I was like, oh my God, I'm uncomfortable. These older women. And I walk in and I'm like, Okay, <laughs> it's showtime. <laughs> now I have to show you how to use these products and everything. And what's interesting is that the majority of the women purchased their items in a room in privacy. They did not want anyone else to see what they were purchasing. I found that so interesting as opposed to like any other parties I've been to or when I used to host. And this was like many, many years ago. Um, people would be like, yeah, let me get that. Let me get that. Let me get this. Let me get this. Let me get that. It was like, do you have a separate room so that we can be in there and then order our stuff, which is interesting. Yeah. It's the shame, right? Right. Yeah. And I think that that's very like culturally relevant. Like shame is like a lot of, you know, it's, it's almost like ingrained in our culture, right? Lo que va a pensar la gente. And I think it comes from like one of the most beautiful things about our culture is that we we're very communal, right? We're all about community and family and, you know, friends and things like that. And that's great. But with that also comes like this, there's a lot of opinions, right? There's like so many opinions in there. But the thing is that people can have their opinions and they don't have to mean anything. Mm -hmm. But we make them mean like, oh, because this person thinks this, I have to act this way around them. And because this person thinks this, I have to act this way around them. When in reality, we get to choose how we want to act, how we want to feel and think. Um, But a lot of people, I would say a majority of people approach it as if it's not a choice. It's like something that's just like, it is, and that's it. And that's not the case. 
Um, so working with my clients, I really, you know, we get down to like, what are those beliefs and showing them that like, you have options, you have choices. And if you want to stay thinking that, then that's totally fine. But recognize that it's a choice. It's not something that someone's forcing you to do. Mm -hmm. So you know that in my podcast, I talk a lot about trauma. I've shared some of my stories of trauma, sexual abuse, trauma, et cetera. Tell me, how do you work with a client who is a survivor of sexual abuse and wanting yeah. to feel open with their sexuality and not um, either hiding from it or being overly promiscuous to kind of, you know, um, numb some of the traumatic feelings? Yeah, definitely. So I think a lot of it, a lot of times, even in therapy, people will go and I have like certain clients that are also in therapy or have worked through, you know, with a therapist over trauma and other things. Um, and a lot of what therapy does is kind of address things like head on, which is fine. Um, but for some people that can be too much. It's almost like if you're going straight for the clit, like when you're like cold, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> that's too much. <laughs> Let's take it back a second. Right. And so it's really about saying like meeting the client where they are. Right. So if talking about trauma or talking about sex, even, even if it's not about trauma, just talking about sex can be semi-triggering for some people. Okay. Let's not talk about sex. Let's talk about a different area of your life where you're acting the same way. If you're telling me you're not confident in the bedroom and you're not comfortable in your own body. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. Um, in the reference of like work or family or something else and kind of addressing it without directly addressing it. So I'm very direct in how I speak in general and also with my clients, but I can also, you know, work with you to, you know, we can speak directly to that without talking about sex. We don't even have to mention sex if that's something that's triggering. And I think a lot of times we think that sex is just like, oh, it's just the act, right? But there's so many different aspects to it. And so like this morning I was talking to a client about masturbation and, you know, the shame around that. And it's like, okay, well, if masturbation is like too far ahead for you, then why don't you just explore your body in a non-sexual way? Because we touch our bodies every day. We go to the bathroom, we take a shower, you know, whatever. Um, and so we can touch our bodies in a non-sexual way. When you go to the gynecologist, they're touching you in a non-sexual way. It is possible, right? When you hug your partner, hug your children, whatever it is, it's in a non-sexual way. So getting familiar with yourself in a non-sexual way and really addressing that um, in in a way that's not triggering for the individual. Mm. Now, I'm really curious to know before I go into you sharing some myths and stuff, but I'm really curious to know, what does your family have to say about this? Yes. <laughs> I have to ask. who you ask. who you ask. So like my tias and stuff, I haven't told them, but I'm like, they don't care. Like they're like, we don't have that kind of relationship, you know, whatever. My sisters think I'm like crazy, but they almost like expect that from me. They're like, Oh, that's her, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, my dad, I told him, so I actually recorded a segment for Telemundo that hasn't been like put out yet, but I was like, dad, I'm going to be on Telemundo. And he's like, oh, okay. Like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, I'm going to teach uh, parents how to talk to their kids about sex. And he starts busting up laughing. Like he was like almost in tears and he was like, Oh, that's good, hija. <laughs> that was it. I was like, okay, well, there's that. And then my mom was like, oh, she was like, you sell dildos? I was like, no, I, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> and then she thought I was doing therapy. And then it's an ongoing conversation because she's just confused. <laughs> because it's, it's something 
taboo, if you if yeah. you will, you know. So it, it's like, who? What? There's a therapist for that? There's an app yeah. for that? You know, yeah. kind of situation. So yeah, she's so curious though, too, because she'll ask me questions, and she'd be like, "Well, why is it this way? And why this? And why that?" And so it's just like an ongoing like conversation. It's almost like if I have a little kid in my backseat all the time, like, "Why? But why?" Is it? Yeah, but then think about where her why is coming from, because no one taught yes. her. No one taught us. Exactly. It's like you consummate the marriage. You have sex, this is what it is, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's super interesting. (laughs) But I'm glad you have a supportive family that they are, you know, there to support you with this. Um, Anna, tell me, how does parent, parents of teenagers talk to their kids about sex in a healthy way without stigmatizing things? Yeah, definitely. So I always suggest that the conversation starts very early. So if you already have older kids, don't worry, like (laughs) it's not the end of the world. But I really do suggest that it starts very early. And when I say that, people are always like, oh, I can't talk to my kid about sex. Like that's no, they're going to want to have sex, you know, and Mm -hmm. we're going to start from the beginning. We, We could talk about sex without mentioning even the word. Right. And so the talking about sex is like, a general term. So within that, you're going to talk about consent. What is appropriate touch? What is not appropriate touch? Letting them know that they have a choice and bodily autonomy. So if they don't want to go and hug their tío, bye, or their tía, or abuela, or quien sea, even mom and dad, then they don't have to. And they don't have to give an explanation. Because when we force children to do that, but are also telling them, oh, you you have bodily autonomy, but when I tell you to, then you have to. When an adult with authority, because that's where they're going to get from it, when an adult with authority says, oh, you have to hug me, you have to give me a kiss goodbye, then they're going to say, oh, okay. So if, um, you know, some a family friend, for example, starts grooming them, then they're going to think, oh, it's okay because they're an adult with authority over me. We're always telling pe- our children to, you know, honor their elders, which is great. They can respect their elders, but that doesn't mean that they have to give up their bodily autonomy. They can still be respectful of their elders while also recognizing that, hey, you know what? I don't feel like hugging you today. And then that's okay. Mm-hmm. And there's no shame around that. Um, so really incorporating that if you want to go and shake everybody's hand, go by, that's totally fine. But there doesn't have to be and even a handshake. If they don't want to touch anybody, they can still say bye. They can still be respectful and just really recognizing and honoring their bodily autonomy. And that also goes for parents. You know, um, I'm constantly tickling my nieces and my nephews, but they love it. But if they are, even though I know that they love being tickled, If they tell me to stop, then that means I stop right in that moment. I don't ask why. It doesn't matter. They said to stop, so I stop. And I know that a lot of parents, you know, do that. There's tickling or, you know, like playful pinching or things like that. If your child tells you to stop, then you stop. No explanations asked because that is going to show them that they have the authority over their own body. I love that. So, yeah, so that's that's where to start. And then also, you know, you kind of mentioned this earlier, giving the the appropriate names to their genitals. It is super important for children to know the names of their genitals, not only for like their own safety, but it's it's not sexual. <laughs> it's literally like their parts. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like we don't go around saying like, "Oh, they don't they don't need to know what their elbows named." Like what is the difference? That's literally the name. You're not, it's not a sexual thing, right? It, you can talk about a penis and a vulva and a vagina without even talking about sex. So the reason that it's like 
awkward and like sexual is because you're making that way. You're projecting that onto them. You're projecting shame onto them and actually teaching them like these pet names, you know, for their genitals is actually (laughs) right. Exactly. It's creating shame around that because it's like, oh, it's something that I have to hide. And in the sense of like, oh, I have to be embarrassed of this. Right. Whereas, I mean, not to say they're going to be walking around naked everywhere, but they also don't need to be shamed for it. Like it's something that they have and it's normal and that's it. End of story. Right. And it is, it's also um, typical if a person or if a child in particular, if they're sexually assaulted, God forbid, then it's less likely to be able to be proved in court, especially if it's a smaller child, right? That isn't like necessarily mature enough to have this conversation that we're having, you know, and they're like, oh, they touched my cookie. Well, what does that mean? Right. So it's really important for them to know their parts and be like, if they can directly say, it's a lot easier to get that person and be like, no, this person touched my my vagina or, you know, my penis, whatever it is. And this is what they did. If they can explain that, then it's a lot, it's way better for the child and for the situation. I think it's important that you say that because my best friend, she was teaching my goddaughter about her body part. And of course, in the Latino culture, her parents were like, why are you teaching her that name? She was like, because if God forbid someone touches my daughter, she's not going to say my cuca, my my popola or whatever. I, I want her to tell me what it is. Um, so it is important, especially parents that you hear this, that, you, you know, you really teach them the right way. Yeah. So thank you for that. Now I want to move into, give us three myths and three facts about sex. Oh, <laughs> this is good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, the first myth you should that we shouldn't talk to our kids about sex, right? That it's sexualizing, right? So there's studies that have actually been shown that embryos are and fetuses are actually masturbating inside of you, right? Like what? that's how I never do that. Yeah. And so when I say masturbation, when I say like, oh, kids are doing that, people are like, that's fucking gross. Why are you talking about that? But for them, that's not what it is. They just know that it feels good. As human beings in general, we are driven by pleasure. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever seen a baby stick something in its mouth, it's the same thing. That's how they learn. So by touching their, you know, their parts, whether it be their leg or their penis or something else, they're learning. And so it's not about it being sexual. And so, yeah, so teaching your kids about sex is not going to encourage them to have sex, right? We do plenty of things in front of our kids that we don't necessarily want them to do. Um, I just talked about this on my podcast about how, like, well, we drink in front of our kids. We don't think, like, oh, my kid's going to become an alcoholic if I do this. No. So what is the difference? It's just that uh, societal shame and that cultural shame around sex and what that means. Mm -hmm. And so um, not to say you should be having sex in front of kids. I mean, if you do, that's that's on you. But (laughs) what I'm saying is that we could talk about it and not encourage them. So that's the first myth. Um, I would say, let's see. The second myth is that we um, we always typically with women in particular, we put the pleasure on the male, like, oh, he made me feel this way. Like, oh, he's got, you know, the good stuff, you know, whatever. Like, he's so good in bed. And the fact of the matter is that we get pleasure from our own brains. That's literally where it comes from. So if someone is touching us and we feel pleasure, it's because we have 
we're giving ourselves permission. We're giving our bodies permission to be like, I'm safe with this person and I want to feel this pleasure. Mm. And we know this to be true because you can have a person that you absolutely love to death, love having sex with them. And sometimes you're just like, eh, I'm not feeling it today. Right. So we know that it's not the person. It's you. Mm. So and this is for men and women, non-binary, right? Like pleasure comes from the brain. And so it's a common misconception that it comes from the other person, but it's not the other person. It's you. Interesting. Yeah. Third myth. Third myth. Uh, let's see. I think this is really common in like the Latino community um, that having sex on your period like is it can't be a thing. And it definitely can be. Um, so this is still something that I hear all the time. Like, oh, we can't have sex. I'm on my period. Like, you know, all these things. And so really recognizing that, yes, you can. If you don't want to, that's totally fine. But nothing bad is going to happen to you if you have sex on your period. Now, if you don't like the mess and you don't want to clean up afterwards, that's totally fine. But having sex in the shower is an option. They now have menstrual discs that you can use and actually have them in while you're having sex. So there's no mess. Um, so it doesn't mean anything is bad. And some women actually prefer having sex on their period because one, they're more sensitive, so it feels better. Um, two, it can alleviate cramps and PMS symptoms. Hmm. So why not? Like <laughs> if you're into it, right, and your partner is fine with it, then go ahead. There's nothing wrong with it. That is so interesting. Now, what about three facts? Three facts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me think. Um that sex is just like penis and vagina or just like in the act. To me, sex can be anything. So if I start sexing my partner earlier in the day, then our session has started, right? It's not just the time that we're together. So a session of sex for me can last multiple days when I decide that it begins and when I decide that it ends. So if I'm sexting my partner and then, you know, he comes home late and we don't have sex that night. And then maybe the next day I'm like fantasizing or like he's fantasizing, you know, whatever. And then we finally meet up like, OK, then that's the session. Right. Sex doesn't have to be a sex session doesn't have to be just in that, you know, 30 minutes to an hour or whatever it is for you. Like. It can be anything. It can be sexting. It can be writing or reading erotica. It can be watching porn, you know, with or without masturbation. It can be masturbation. It can just be anything that's pleasurable for you. So I think that, uh, you know, we need to reframe what sex is because I think that's where a lot of people get stuck, especially when there's trauma involved. Mm -hmm. Two more facts. Yeah, two more facts. <laughs> um, so if your man or any man listening likes butt play, that does not mean <laughs> he's not gay. It means he likes butt play. That's literally what it means. So I think there's uh well, this is like half myth, half fact. Right, um, right. So it is a fact that that means that they like butt play. Mm -hmm. However, it's a common misconception that that means that they're like gay or they're into men. Like, no, they just like butt play. Just like women can like anal too. So yeah, the, the anus is an actual um, very uh, pleasurable um, spot on the body because it has a lot of nerve endings. So it makes sense. There we go. There we yeah. go. Last fact, last fact, Anna. Come on. This is That's, good. <laughs> let's see. <laughs> I want a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that people think that sex just has to be like monotonous all the time. And sex, like I said, like in the first fact that it can be anything 
And I think that it can also be continuously growing, continuously changing, just like we as people, or at least I mean, myself, I guess, <laughs> you know, constantly growing, constantly changing. Sex can change. And just because it changed doesn't mean that it's, you know, bad or better or worse, right? You can continuously, you know, um, try new things. Like you can dabble in BDSM, you can dabble in, you know, different fetishes and things like that. And it doesn't have to be this continuous thing, right? It's ever growing, ever changing. Um, and yeah. Anna, thank you so, so much. We really talked about sex today. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being here. So where can people find you? Yeah. So on my website, sexinspanglish.com. Um, you can also find me on Instagram. That's mainly where I live um, at Sex and Spanglish. Um, there's also a link tree in my bio to, you know, how you can work with me and also my podcast, um, Sex and Spanglish, which is on um, iTunes, Spotify, and all the other ones that I never remember. <laughs> um, yeah. And then if you want to work with me, um, you can sign up for uh, their quickie calls. So they're 45 minute calls for $69, um, purposely $69. Um, that's available in the link in my bio um, on Instagram, as well as on my website. Um, and if anyone wants to book a call after listening to this, I'll give you a free 15 minutes. They, you get a quickie, quickie. Quick, yeah. quick. <laughs> Guys, tune in, find Anna. I am going to tag her like I always do all my guests on my uh, Instagram. But Anna, thank you so much for being here. Super excited to have this conversation. You had me even extra energized. Yeah, thank, you for <laughs> no having me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Anna. Yeah, thank Thanks you. for listening to this week's episode. I hope this episode fed your okay. soul. Please be sure to download new episodes. You can also head on over to rate, review, and subscribe. For more updates, find us at www.iambeauteousme.com or on Instagram at iambeauteousme. Don't forget to use the hashtag beauteousmepodcast for your feedback.